we know wildfires have become a major issue, right? Uh, going back to Slave Lake, and then we had Fort McMurray, we had Lytton, but there's been several more. And they seem to be getting bigger and worse and more frequent. Um, so we're, what can we do to prevent them, right? There's been a lot of discussion around that and the way that we build communities in forested areas and things like that. Well, there's a lot of people, and we've talked about this before, saying, hey, I mean, you can ask our Indigenous communities. They've dealt with this for a very, very long time. They, they have a lot of knowledge. I mean, the knowledge is there. Um, so some of the practices that have been employed for a very long time, or used to be anyway, are being revisited now. So uh, to tell us about that, we're going to chat with Kira Hoffman, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of British Columbia. Uh, Kira, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I mean, it's true. And I, I, I know we've had this conversation, you know, somewhat in the past, but it seems like it's coming more to the surface now in terms of there is a body of knowledge that exists out there, right, in terms of um, preventing fires, there's a, a very vast body of knowledge, I think, that we haven't really appreciated or fully understood, and, and we're still in the process of, of trying to understand it, um, mostly from a Western perspective. But yes, uh, Canada's Indigenous peoples, um, including Inuit, Métis, First Nations, have used fire um, for thousands of years as a tool for resource management. And one part of that is um, a tool for reducing the risk of natural lightning started fires. Right, yeah. I mean, they had a relationship with, with fire in many different capacities. What happened? Why, why did we get away from those practices? Uh, I think a lot of those practices have still continued. Um, but in the 1930s, there was a ban on cultural burning. And so it became illegal to burn across broader uh, Indigenous territories. And we moved into reserve systems uh, where some burning could occur, but there's a lot of red tape for doing it. Um, so a lot of the narrative around fire, so fire became kind of this this enemy or this big disaster when before it used to be part more of everyday life. Um, and it, it's really associated with how we value timber and want to protect timber for um, the economy. And so... Uh, that that kind of flip in perspective of fire really happened at that time. And now as we're almost 100 years later trying to revitalize fire uh, within our communities and especially Indigenous fire practitioners moving to revitalize it, there's a lot of roadblocks to making that happen. Okay, so we'll get to the roadblocks in a moment. But first, why are we making the shift? Like, like you say, it happened 100 years ago. We shifted away from that. Now we're talking about shifting back to that. Um, what's been the impetus in sort of saying, hey, wait a minute, let's revisit that choice we made a long time ago because maybe it was the wrong choice? Yeah, it, it definitely was the wrong choice um, because you can't continue to suppress fires in the way that we have. Uh, we're in a situation now where we're getting to uncontrollable fires. So it's not that they're just large because large fires have always happened. It's that they're really more impactful. So we're seeing hotter fires. We're seeing longer fired seasons. We are seeing communities directly impacted and fatalities associated with that. Uh, it's really important that a lot of those practices, it's not about going back, it's about moving forward and adapting to the change in climate, uh, to changing, uh, you know, community situations too, to changing desires. Uh, so I think that uh, we have to be careful and that we consider, you know, shifting backwards is not about that. It's about really um, supporting Indigenous-led solutions that have always been there, have always been adapting and changing to these ever-changing environments, 
and that, you know, there is that wealth of knowledge and, and it might be slightly different from what we consider to be Western science, uh, but Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous science is very strong and alive in many communities. So you mentioned some of the roadblocks. Is that one of them? The fact that you're sort of, they, they don't necessarily come together seamlessly? There, there, there is some difference there? But I'd actually say that fire ecologists, um, you know, who have gone through Western um, academic settings are, are very much in line with um, Indigenous knowledge. So their Western uh, fire ecologists would say, you know, myself, I'm one of them, that we need fire applied to the broader landscape at a, at a massive scale. And I think that most Indigenous fire practitioners would agree with that. So it's actually more of the general public uh, and the policymakers and decision makers that are providing some of those roadblocks be just because of the lack of understanding of what Indigenous fire stewardship or prescribed um, fire is, and then how do we actually apply it at the scale we need in a really safe way? What are we What are we getting wrong? What I mean, what is the the misconceptions that we have that are, you know, causing sort of sand in the gears here? What 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 do we not understand properly? I think that most people, when they think about um, applying controlled fire, prescribed fire, cultural burning, which are very different, um, they think about trees being removed from the landscape. So like whole big forest areas burned. But that's not what's happening. Um, these fires, when they're applied, they're applied usually in the spring and fall, often when there's snow still on the ground, when there's good venting conditions, so you're not dealing with a lot of smoke. But also these fires are very light and they're called cool burns for a reason. It's because they take off kind of that dead layer of vegetation. But your trees are staying standing. You know, you're not losing forest uh, to controlled fire. Uh, much of these fires are, are actually regenerative. So they're really, you know, designed to be healthy components of those forests. A lot of our forests across Canada are fire dependent. Mm-hmm. So they need fire in order to be healthy. A lot of our communities actually need fire in order to be healthy, and those are ecosystems and human communities. Are we seeing more of an uptake? Is it happening more frequently? Is it being embraced more widely? I think it's uh, starting to be embraced, but applying it is now very difficult after we've you know, said no, 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 no yeah. to fire for so long we've lost a lot of our ability to apply it because we don't have people in those roles. Um, It's also very difficult to get a permit to burn, to be accredited, to be a burner, um, to do ignitions, or to actually, um, if you are Indigenous, trying to burn across your traditional territories is not really happening. And so, um, yeah, we've kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit Mm -hmm. with regards to burning, but there's a lot of great examples of how to get started again, um, how we can build up training and capacity. Um, And so there's, there's really clear ways forward. And, and like you say, I mean, we're starting down that path and hopefully the more it happens, the the more um, acceptance there will be, right? Seeing how effective and it can be, I guess it's sort of the proof is in the pudding. Is it that simple? Yeah, it is really simple. Um, You know, there's tons of examples from Western North America. Um, To put this a little bit in perspective, uh, more fire is applied in the state of Florida each year than in all of Canada. So there is 
definitely ways that we can move forward. Um, and I think it just takes a little bit of, you know, public support, um, becoming more comfortable with fire, uh, understanding that, you know, fire can be applied in a really safe way and, and that there is major steps um, in order to make that happen. So fuel mitigation around communities, uh, making sure removing, you know, dead and dry, dense fuels that have been there for a long time so that yeah. when you actually do go to apply fire, that it's really safe to do it. Fascinating discussion, Kira. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us.